This episode of Scope It Out is dedicated to the memory of Heinz Stamberger and is made possible by support from Carl Storrs Endoscopy America. Welcome to Scope It Out. In this edition, Dr. Smith will be speaking with Dr. David Kennedy, Editor-in-Chief of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology, about his editorial, Heinz Stamberger, 1946-2018, to a remembrance of Dr. Stamberger's career as a leader in endoscopic sinus surgery and his contributions to the international rhinologic community. Hello and welcome to Scope It Out, the podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Smith, and today I'm pleased to be joined by the editor-in-chief of our journal, David Kennedy. We will be discussing his editorial, which is currently available online and is entitled Heinz Stamberger, 1946-2018, to and is a tribute to his memory and to his impact on the field. David, with a heavy heart, I welcome you to this very special podcast that we will most certainly dedicate to Heinz's memory. Thanks, Tim. David, he was such an incredible figure in our field, and your editorial really nicely states that in so many different ways. I'm not really sure where to start with the podcast. Maybe you could tell us, how did you come to know Heinz? How did it How did it all begin? So I originally met Heinz in Dubrovnik in 1984. It was when I was at Hopkins at the time, and I was working in autology, neuroautology, and I had published on our transphenoidal results just because as the neuroautologist, I was frequently called to do the transphenoidals with the neurosurgeons. Hmm. Hopkins needed someone to go and present at this particular meeting in Dubrovnik, and so they asked me to go and present when I looked at it, it was actually a sinus meeting, which was certainly not in my area of interest. So I borrowed a few other slides uh, to make a a few more sinus talks and went and and met Heinz and, uh, of course, Professor Messerklinger there. Hmm. Uh, Messerklinger presented, and I was very interested in what he was starting to do at that point in time, which was to do some of the some surgery in addition to his diagnostic work that he'd been doing for a lot of years. Thought it was very interesting and started to talk to him about it, actually through Heinz, because Messerklinger did not speak English or right. did not like to speak English. <laughs> um, so um, so Heinz acted as our translator, and, uh, and Messerklinger was actually very welcoming because he knew Don Proctor, one of the professors at Hopkins, mm. very well, and they'd done some work together in the past, so it worked out very well. And so in Heinz, he was junior faculty at this stage, I think, in, in Graz. Is that right? That's correct. So yeah. he did his residency there in Graz. I did medical school and residency, and uh, he was really an outstanding photographer. Yes. So Messerklinger was at that stage using carbon dust to, to look at mucosolar recurrence in cadavers. Yeah. And Heinz did the photography for him, yeah. uh, which are really classical, um, showed yeah. beautiful mucosolar recurrence. And as a resident, I'd done mucosal recurrence using tantalum dust, 
and, and uh, radiography in dogs. And so it was of interest to me, and that was sort of where we started talking. Of course, what Messicling had done was much better than anything that we'd ever done. I had the opportunity, gosh, back when I was a junior faculty in Wisconsin, you remember those days when we all, I mean, you were the leader in the field, and we were all just trying to do a sinus course, and you were nice enough to come to my sinus course one year. That was probably 20 years ago, David. And Heinz came one year. The beauty of that was that for two nights in a row, I got to have dinner with him one-on-one, and one of those evenings, he just... He talked to me about Messerklinger and the work that he'd done with Messerklinger. He told a story of how he was the junior faculty and Messerklinger would operate the camera, I think, with a foot pedal, the aperture of the camera. Mm-hmm. And Heinz was looking through it. Yep. I'm sorry? Yep. I think he actually operated the on-off with the camera, yeah, with a yes. foot and, pedal. And Heinz, Heinz said the aperture sometimes would be closed but Messerklinger would be excitedly describing what it was that he was seeing, and Heinz said it was his job to just kind of agree with what was what Dr. Messerklinger was saying at that time with the aperture closed. He said about half the time the aperture was closed, and he wasn't sure quite what Dr. Messerklinger was looking at. Well, of course, in the early days, we didn't have cameras at all, so right. uh, the poor assistant had to follow along with initially a rigid yeah. sidearm and then a flexible sidearm. Right. And the first surgeries that I did watching Messerklinger are all done with a, a sidearm arm and me trying to follow along and not disturb his surgery by moving the endoscope <laughs> as we watched. So the, the camera came along later and the first cameras that we got at Hopkins were actually in the European PAL format. So they were they had, everything we recorded had to be translated into NTSC so that we could actually play it in the United States. It was uh, it was quite an undertaking. So tell us some more about those early days. I guess when you and Heinz, you obviously recognized you were both interested in this field that was perhaps beginning to blossom. I guess you guys didn't know where the field was going to go at that stage. No, not really. I mean, I thought it was very exciting when I came back after the Dubrovnik meeting and wrote to Carl Stortz and asked them to think about putting some instrument sets together. And they did that, um, and uh, we worked on putting a set together that we got at Hopkins, and that was sort of where it started. And and Carl Stortz were very supportive. So they um, subsequently we did a, a tour around some of the institutions in Europe that were starting to do endoscopic sinus surgery. So Wolfgang Graf, of course, Baum, Wiegand, and also Messerklinger. And of those, obviously, with Messerklinger and Heinzen, there was some chemistry there. And I really liked what Messerklinger was doing in terms of very delicate, focused surgical procedures. How did it come to pass that then you and Heinz would go on together kind of a road show where it sounds like the two of you taught in sinus courses on six continents I've heard. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. So I asked Heinz 
And after I'd gone back and spent some time with Messerklinger and with with Heinz, if he would be willing to come to Hopkins so that we could do the first endoscopic sinus surgery course. And we did that in June 1985, and and very kindly he agreed to come and was a co-course director with me of that first course. It was important that he attended because I did not have that much surgical experience at that point in time, and Heinz had more. So as I mentioned in the obituary, when he called me up and told me he'd missed his flight the night before, I I got uh, metaphorical angina, um, uh, but he did show up in time. Do you recall, where's the most interesting place that you and Heinz have traveled together? So we we did courses in a, in lots of different places with varying levels of uh, facilities, I think it's yeah. fair to say. So yeah. um, it is uh, definitely true that we saw quite a few maggots um, yeah. <laughs> uh, through an endoscope in different places. We dealt with some extremely high temperatures in some labs, and I can remember... Heinz absolutely losing it when on the last day of one meeting, someone from overseas said, what is this thing, the uncinate process? (laughs) And so (laughs) Heinz lost it and had a meltdown in the lab. But we we certainly went some interesting places. I can remember Jakarta well and, and the temperatures in the lab there. I can remember the first course we did at UC Davis where we had some uh, cadaver issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. He was a stickler for the details, and it's one of the things that I think made him so great. I mean, he, not only was he a great surgeon, he he could give a lecture like few people I've ever seen give a lecture before, and, and giving it in a, in a second language. He had an excellent knowledge of, of English, which he actually picked up from music. So from playing in a, in a jazz band and, and listening to English music, and he picked up most of his English language, he told me, from from music. And then, of course, <laughs> we worked on it together as we toured. You're absolutely correct. He was a stickler for precision and also for precision in presentations and precision in his surgery. And those are the things that I think made him unique in terms of what he did. And it wasn't really just in surgery that he was he was so precise. I mean, his photography was superb. He was a prize-winning underwater photographer. He did amazing photographs in the desert, uh, which he would do on tour pretty much on an annual basis. And I suspect he had the same sort of precision as a glider pilot light uh, in his youth because uh, he told me that he was on, I think, the German junior team, if I remember correctly, um, as a glider pilot. One of his passions seemed to be archaeology. I didn't recognize that until when he came to Wisconsin to visit me. We'd talked, he'd, we'd done a sinus course for two days, and he was there also to give a lecture to our department and to the community otolaryngologists. And he asked me, uh, Tim, 
can I, would it be appropriate if I gave a talk on archaeology and some of the trips that I've taken? And I said, Professor Stamberger, you can talk about whatever it is that you'd like to talk about, and I'm sure that we will all be very interested. He was so concerned that he would somehow breach protocol by doing that, that he would offend folks in the audience by not talking about uh, the sinuses. And I reminded him that he'd given about seven lectures in the in the two days leading up to this. He went on to give one of the most beautiful lectures I've ever seen from a from a photographic standpoint. As you, as you said, he's quite a talented photographer. And he showed uh, pictures from all over the world, told stories of his travels to these variety of places. I think it was then and there I realized that, wow, this guy is just excels in so many different uh, talents, so many different things. And at the same time, sitting down and having dinner with him, I mean, here I was, a junior faculty member. He acted like he knew that he knew me and uh, treated me with such kind, graceful way. I, um, I just, just a remarkable man. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember his archaeology lectures, but I do remember uh, a slideshow of underwater pictures one time, mm. which was uh, absolutely amazing. I'm sure phenomenal. And how about his textbook from, I think that's around 1991 that was published in its last version, as I recall. I think you're correct. It was beautifully illustrated, kept very simple, and really, I think, introduced the techniques to a lot of people worldwide. I think so, and I remember reviewing, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a copy of it, and I remember reviewing it in the late 90s and in the early 2000s, and it was still at that stage just the best textbook that was out there. It's really very nicely put together, it really yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Well, if anybody has a chance to get it, I don't think it's in publication any longer which is a shame. I've somehow either donated my copy or it's walked out with a trainee along the way, probably. <laughs> but, so I no longer have my copy, but it's something I should probably try to search down and, and get a hold of. David, any final words you'd like to say about uh, Heinz to the folks who are listening? I think his contributions can't be underestimated because of the effort and time that he put into teaching. Probably to me, the most amazing story of his dedication was one time when he was due to speak in Mumbai. He flew from Graz to Vienna, Vienna to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Mumbai. And when he arrived, they said, where's your visa? Hmm. And he said, what visa? So they tried to get a visa at the airport in Mumbai. They couldn't get one. They put him on the same plane and sent him back to Frankfurt, hmm. where they uh, provided him with a visa at the airport. He then got on the same plane again and flew back to Mumbai, arriving at 2 a.m., got off the plane, gave his talks on the podium starting at 8 a.m., got on the same plane again that evening and flew back to Frankfurt and then back 
to Graz again. I just think that shows amazing dedication that someone would do that. And that was true of what he did internationally. Um, We had a lot of fun trips together uh, to a lot of different places and actually a lot of adventures. And his humor really added to it. His humor and his depth of knowledge in a number Mm. of different areas. It it really made it fun. And it was really a triumvirate of himself, myself, and Jim Zinreich all over the place. I can remember at one point doing, I think it was uh, seven different weekend lecture tours in a row. (laughs) 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 That gets tiring. Wow. I'll be tired. Well, David, thank you so much for writing your editorial about Heinz and the tremendous impact he's had on our field. And and thank you for coming on to the podcast and remembering some of those great times out loud for all of us to hear. Thanks very much, Tim. It's been a pleasure. And again, I I just uh, can't overemphasize what he has given to the specialty, what Heinz contributed to the field of rhinology could not agree more actually david so thank you again thank you for listening scope it out is a co-production of the international forum of allergy and rhinology and wiley all opinions in this podcast are those of dr smith and his guests and do not necessarily reflect those of wiley or of the sponsors